episode of the Gospel Lifeline podcast. My name is Neil Grogan here with Matthew Statler. And we are excited to come back to you guys again and talk about the last two churches or the second to last church of Revelation. But before we get into that, you know, Matt, I, I just wanted to ask you, um, is there a prominent city that you can think of that's just gotten the crud beat out of it from natural disasters? I mean, I don't know what you mean by prominent, uh, but I know, you know, New Orleans. Populated. Yeah, New Orleans, uh, Houston recently with the flooding, and then of course any kind of beach or beach, any city on the coast like Galveston yeah. um, is mm. is known to have flooding. And every hurricane season, right? They're always watching the radar, uh, yeah. looking to see if is this is this one going to take us out. In fact, mm. man, we went down to uh, Rockwall to do a mission trip a while back after that big hurricane came through. And they even have like hurricane escape pods over there where they like you can hide out into it. it's supposed to be like indestructible with food and protection. It's, it's kind of interesting. I call those the Atlantean uh, jet skis. <laughs> Atlantean <laughs> jet skis. Nice. But yeah, it's kind of like a, a big sphere that you can get inside and weather a hurricane. Um, yeah. But man, yeah, yeah it makes the, me think nature. Think a lot. A lot about Galveston specifically, you know, I think it was the year 1900 where Galveston was hit by the most or the deadliest hurricane ever to hit the United States. And it totally decimated this town, this port city. Um, it killed, you know, official reports are up to like 8,000, um, but they they thought maybe more like 12,000, like 4,000 right, right. bodies unaccounted for, right? just crazy man but but like you said like any kind of coastal town you're gonna get beat on um by that coast by the ocean you know and and in houston and galveston man they they've hit oh gosh man you got harvey you got ike you got i mean just in the last 15 years they've been been hit a lot it well, seemed in California like, with all the uh, earthquakes, right? Yeah. There's a, they're right on that fault line, but they keep rebuilding. Um, same thing with New Orleans. They keep rebuilding the city and coming back. Right. And, and you know, when you think about New Orleans or even like Houston, Galveston area, you don't think New York City, right? <laughs> it's a different kind of... Aura of city. Is it known? Yes. But is it like the most known? It's not Washington, D.C. Right. In the United States. It's not um, New York or or San Francisco even, you, you know. But it, it reminds me a lot that kind of that kind of context of Galveston. But it, but in general, it reminds me a lot of the church in Philadelphia that um, Jesus writes a letter to in Revelation 3, 7 through 13. Um, this city who has endured quite a lot. I mean, if you didn't know, the, the city of Philadelphia um, in biblical Asia Minor, uh, not up in Pennsylvania. <laughs> That's not the one we're talking about. It, it, the land there is known as a burnt land or was known as a burnt land, a land that was full of bad events. Here's just a couple for you, Matt. In 17 AD, they were hit by an earthquake. 
and the people even left the city because it was so bad. It was so devastated. So they were given a stimulus to rebuild. So they did that. In 54 AD, they were hit by another earthquake, but this time they weren't given any stimulus. It was just figure it out, you know? And then in 70 AD, Matt, can you guess what happened? Uh, another earthquake. Uh, they got hit by another earthquake, man. And uh, at this time, you know, Romans are in power and they give the city of Philadelphia a stimulus, but they also change its name. Even they change this. They oh, will give you a stimulus, but we're going to change your name. Kind of kind of deal. Very Rom- Roman. Uh, they changed the name to Flavia. And then in 92 AD, um, even and this hits them vocationally. Uh, Emperor Domitian passes an edict saying half of the vineyards in the whole region have to be destroyed and no new ones planted because what we know about that region is they have these vineyards and uh, I guess it was too good and too, uh, too much competition for the vineyards in Rome. And so Domitian, you know, 86 is half of their crops and, and, um, forbids them from planting any new ones like that wrecks them vocationally. So you have this city that has endured natural disaster after natural disaster. They're vocationally strained. Now they have to think of new jobs because they can't farm in the same manner. Um, you have a city whose name continues to change. Um, even, I mean, do do they even have a real identity? You know, like who who are they? Who are they? And so, um, Matt, if you want to read verses seven thir- through thirteen of Revelation three, I think we're going to start to learn who Jesus says the church in Philadelphia is. How he's going to restore identity here? Yeah, definitely. So, um, Revelation chapter three, verse seven. Write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the True One, the One who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one will or no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close, because you have but little power. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Note this, I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not, but are lying. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, and they will know that I have loved you, because you have kept my command to endure. I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole earth, on the whole world, to test those who live on the earth. I am... Coming soon, hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on the name of on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Mm. So what's interesting, Neil, to me about that is that there is no negative or Mm. 
I mean, he says, I know your works, which would be a scary thing to hear um, anyway, because you start questioning your your stuff. But, you know, when I think about this city, it's it's economically it's not well known. It doesn't seem to have any um, anything going for it. Right. It has a poor identity. There's no um, national pride or, or city pride. Right. They never win the world championship. They always have a losing team, right? And uh, <laughs> the name keeps changing. And and so you don't hear anything really good about the city. I mean, they could have, right? They could be successful with the, the wine industry, but then Roman crushes it, or the Romans crush it. So they don't have anything going for them. Yet even, yeah. even, the, uh, even the Lord doesn't come at them and say, you have been doing this bad stuff he's actually get, commends them mm. so that's interesting to me just reading it off the top yeah so that tells us something about a standard right i think there's two standards we all struggle with and uh, that's the standard of the world of what says is successful or the right thing or what makes you happy or yada yada right and then there's this biblical standard there's a standard of faithfulness that I think Jesus is highlighting here in the text um, that we just read. Um, <clears throat> this 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 place that he's encountering that has struggled with its identity, its name change, its location, its vocation, uh, and and Jesus is going to give them a different picture, a different standard, right? And it's going to highlight on faithfulness is what he's going to highlight on. Um, let's start with the intro statement. So like you said, Matt, there's no, uh, statement of criticism to the church in Philadelphia. So what we have to work with is an intro statement about Christ. We have a statement of commendation and then an exhortation. Um, so in the intro statement, he says the whole, he is the Holy one, the true one, the one who has the key of David who opens and no one will close and who closes and no one opens what is he what's he getting at there uh matt what's what does that what does that even mean well you know first off almost every one of these intros it seems like he is giving us a um glimpse at the power that christ has um, mm-hmm. his authority or his um ability and that's what he's saying here is he has authority uh key of david right it speaks it kind of echoes isaiah twenty two twenty two and speaks of Christ's authority in the household of God. And so um, Mm. there's probably a a Jewish community there that may be keeping them out um, or not welcoming them in, um, it seems like. And so he's saying, no, I have the key of David. I am of the line of David. They're just pretenders in many ways. Yeah, yeah. And so he is saying that he has the power. Yeah, and just to to read that text, Isaiah twenty two twenty two, and I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, and no one shall shut. And he shall shut, and no one shall open. And I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place, and he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. So here we have this and um, a uh, statement looking forward towards the Messiah, right? And so Jesus has come, we learn in the Gospels, he has come, he has fulfilled the law of God, 
and he has been placed with this key of David upon him. He's fulfilled this text here in Isaiah. And then how, now, how encouraging, right? For a church. Oh who, man. Who has, <laughs> has no name. Uh, no name. Rural, you imagine a rural church in a, in a, in a flyover town and a yeah. pass by city. The interstate doesn't even come by there. And you just, mm. you're like, what am I doing here? You know? And yeah. he says, I have the key. Yeah, I have the key. I'm the one who is the security to the land that has right. no security, it seems like, for the church in Philadelphia, for the city of Philadelphia. So, you know, Jesus is saying much about himself. And and what's really cool is he's, when he transitions to verse 8, he says, I know your works. Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one can close because you have but little power yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So what is he commending there, Matt? Well, faithfulness. Yeah. They have been faithful in the small things. Yeah. He's placed this open door. Like I think that maybe the best way we can view Philadelphia is almost as this like missionary city. Like people are coming to faith. Um, and they're being led there by the faithful, regardless of the circumstances that are surrounding them. They're they're entrenched deep into the gospel and they're proclaiming it. This door can't close. In this city, this place, there's no power, right? There's little power, he says. But, you know, if Christ is, holds the key to David, of David, who opens and closes what no one can open and close, right? Um, this is a statement about when you're faithful, the Lord opens his door for the mission of God to be exercised and to go out that no one can close regardless of what is, uh, encompassing you, right. Or surrounding you. What other, uh, key things, Matt, do you see from this commendation with, with, or flesh out their faithfulness a little bit? Yeah, I think the little power thing is um, is important, and because um, you think about it, you know, we we it could be a missionary city, but it, on the other on the other token, it could just be a really small struggling church um, that's not having any success at all, and they seem powerless uh, in a in a city that's against them, if possible. Right. And so, as you as you think about that, I, you know. For me, just I'm just in a pastoral context thinking about some of the little churches in our community who are in these small towns who maybe have just a handful of faithful people. And for some pastors, that would look like failure, right? I mean, how many pastors come through seminary and, and think about all the work God is going to do through them, right? They're going to be these big mega church pastors one day or, or what have you, but then they end up getting called to a small ministry somewhere and they just serve faithfully. And that's an encouragement that that God sees all and nothing is wasted. He has a purpose for it. So for Mm. me, that's kind of a, an encouragement that I see um, not Mm. only in my own life, like being, being um, faithful in the small stuff, but also in the same token, the power of God to do what he wants. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with the the open door text, you know, that's not a unique t- 
term or phrase that's used in scripture. We see it in texts like Acts 14, 27, Colossians 4, 3 and 4, 2 Corinthians 2, 12. Uh, what is an open door? I think probably the best way to um, maybe define it is the, the symbolism behind it is that it, an open door means influence for the kingdom. So there's this there's this influence this church in Philadelphia has for the kingdom of God here in this city, in this region. Um, and, you know, dr- draws my attention to Acts um, 14, verse 27, but just back up a little bit. In verse 24 it says about Paul and Barnabas returning to Antioch. It says, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And so, you know, we have this kind of reoccurring theme um, throughout the New Testament of what this open door has led to. And it's led to people coming to faith. There's been, faithfulness in a place and the the response of the gospel proclamation done by the faithful is other people coming into faith. Um, So this is kind of the, the context of faithfulness. We see, we see people who have, who have not denied the name of Christ. Um, uh, And, and this is very, you know, back to what you were kind of talking about with like small churches and stuff like that, Matt, this is a mark of faithfulness we want to see in our churches, right? You don't have to be a 1000 plus, you know, attending church to have an influence in your city. An open door means that you have influence for the kingdom of God. When you go get your haircut at the barber, you have an opportunity if you're faithful to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand, right? <laughs> like, um, and, and no matter the context, if you're a rural pastor, pastoring 20 people, when you get up at that pulpit and you proclaim the, the, the things of God to your people, the whole counsel of the Lord, what you're doing is you are, um, you are entering that open door. You're proclaiming this open door to others to come through, to follow after Christ. You're not denying his name. And so this, I think what's really important and, th- and this is whether we're talking about church leadership or anything else, is that we understand that what is most important, it seems, when I look at Scripture for church leaders or for churches, is not influence, it's not charisma, it's not power um, in their own strength, it's not numbers, it's not anything else what is most highlighted is the character is the faithfulness of the people of god um if it's church leadership i mean you look at the qualifications for elder matt didn't you preach through those not too long ago didn't you yeah not too long ago for sure what what impressed you the most about the qualifications of an elder it wasn't it wasn't about skill but about character always about character yeah 
and the most important characteristic is in your private life and in your public life that you do, do you do not deny the name of Christ, right? That you walk in righteousness with him. And we see this commended by our uh, Savior Jesus to the church in Philadelphia. Neil, he continues. Oh, go ahead. Before you continue, um, I like how when you said open door, you mentioned opportunity because we see that yeah. in Corinthians, right, with Paul. Yeah. And he refers to it as an opportunity to share the gospel. Yeah. Mm. Um, I was thinking on an individual, personal level, I was I was counseling somebody and they had mentioned kind of their frustration at where they were in life. Uh, they wanted to, they had dreams of being a missionary at one point and God had um, basically kept that door shut for them and now they have kids and, and really she felt that um, she should be a missionary, but she is not able to uh, mm -hmm. just because of different factors. Context. Yeah. And um, so she felt unimportant maybe unseen uh maybe not worthy mm. and and small and minor in in the grand scheme of things and the reality is she has a great opportunity to minister to her family to her kids um and even in the small things around her neighborhood you don't know uh what influence you'll have and so maybe you feel that way maybe you feel like god has gifted you with a very small um ability of gifts maybe Maybe he hasn't given you a, a great ability to speak, or maybe he hasn't yeah. um, he hasn't filled you with um, great influence. Maybe your circle of friends is small, but that's mm. not what we're called to do. We're, we're called to be faithful with the opportunities that we are given, and and that that should encourage you as it encourages me that yeah. nothing's wasted in God's economy. <laughs> Not at all, man. You know, one of the things we tell our members at Christ Community Church is that every member is a, and and this isn't in the ex extreme sense, but this is the language we use. Every member is a minister and a missionary. And what we mean by that is every member is a minister who ministers to one another in the context of the, the assembly of believers, right? Yeah. That we're ministering to our community. Uh, but we're also missionaries, those who are on mission, proclaiming the glory of God, the kingdom of heaven to those in our spheres of influence. And man, that has a deep impact on the whole dynamic of a culture, of a context, um, when we are standing firm in our faith and being faithful to the one who has shown great faithfulness to us, right? So Neil, what could, what could kind of ruin that? Um, mm. you know, the being faithful in small things and then something could happen to kind of ruin all that work. What do you, what would, from our text, do you see? Uh, I think the key thing that Jesus is pinging on and commending them for could be the thing that they fail in, in the future or what we could fail in. And that's this, that we've denied his name. Now, Jesus says, you have not denied my name, and therefore, here's a commendation, right? But when we deny his name, what does that look like? And I think that's more of maybe the question we want to answer is when we deny the name of Christ, we do that publicly, we do that privately. Um, it might be a profession of I'm, you know, deconstructing my faith. I've heard that recently quite a lot. Uh, cycled around or circled around. And that's this group of people who say they were in Christ who have now 
looked at culture, looked at what the world says and made a decision. I will no longer follow Christ. I've deconstructed my fab denying his name. Um, I still, and they say weird things like I still love Jesus esque, but I'm not, it's, it's so contrary, right? It's just full of contradiction and, and fallacy. I love uh, it's Jesus very di- in the image that I created him. And that's exactly that, right? <laughs> in my rebellion, if he fits in this box the way I like, I like yeah. him, you know? So we th- there's that public denial of Christ or of his name. But then there's also this private denial of his name, which comes in the form of our secret hidden sins, I feel like. Um, my dad calls those your black box sins. <laughs> you put them in a black box and you hide them in the closet in the in the in the shadows, right? And uh, you know, you feel like you have a, a ten, you know kind of have it managed and uh, under wraps, and then it comes out, boom, and becomes public. Um, that could look like unrepentant sin. You know, um, I was counseling a. Uh, a couple recently who were engaged in, you know, extra marital issues. Right. And there was no desire to turn away from it. And as we flushed that out, you know, what we realized was there's some, there's no, no, no repentance. There's no desire for repentance. There's no desire for Christ. And thus they're denying his name. So, yeah, I think I think we're on in that. So let's let's which continue on lack, verse which shows a lack of endurance. That's kind of what I Yeah. Uh-huh. You don't So continue. Continue. Yeah. I know you want to continue. <laughs> let's continue. So note this, Matthew. I'm noting. I will make those from the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews and are not but are lying. I will make them come down and bow at your feet. And they will know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to endure like you're saying Matt, and i'll also keep you from the hour of testing that's coming to the whole world to test those who live on earth i'm coming soon hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown so there's a lot of moving parts here what is this synagogue of satan matthew well i mean obviously it's the jews at this in this area at least you know, they appear to be serving God, but in, ultimately mm-hmm. they're serving the purposes of Satan. Right. Which is a cool, yeah. really cool name to call something, but, you know, probably, oh, probably should be fearful of that name. But I just like the name Synagogue of Satan. It just sounds well done. Matt, Matt when you're driving through uh, Arizona and you see a church on the corner, you're like, man, that's a Synagogue of Satan right there. That's, that's right. I'm, I'm oh. cursing, cursing the evils. What a harsh judgment, you know, or what may seem ju- uh, harsh. Yeah. But, you know, and, and we've talked about it in previous podcasts. You know, we have these Jews who are outing and persecuting persecuting the, the Christians. And what's so to connect the intro statement with this, Matt, you know, he says he has the key of David. And then he says, um, they will know that I loved you like his, that. These are his people. And so whatever those current Jews who Jesus says they're not really um, those folks, uh, whatever they believed at at the end of the day, Jesus is saying, no, you're mine. 
I have restored your identity. You're mine. And, and he says like, he, he gives them kind of how he restores their identity. Uh, you want to finish out verse 12? Yeah, absolutely. He says, the one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Mm. You know, Neil, um, kind of interesting. And almost most a lot of these churches, God or Jesus here brings up. God, who is Jesus is God, but um, who brings, <laughs> I'm about to go into some kind of heresy, but he brings out this, 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 the name of Satan um, several yeah. times. And it, it's in reference to things that these people have grasped onto for security, for safety, for whatever, some kind of idol. And so knowledge, right, was one of them um, in Pergamum, and, uh, Thyatira, yeah, and then you know you live where Satan lives, right? For the other cities, mm. and, and so we keep seeing this this coming back around, and um, he's kind of pointing to the fact: listen, God is the one who gives the name. God is the one who will, um, who is ultimate. And if you pursue these other things, you're really doing the work of Satan. And so when he's talking about, um, I will write on him the name of my God, and what I think is interesting, and my new name. Why would Jesus have a new name? Mm. Uh, I think it's interesting because in the imagery of him coming as a conquering hero, his name is written on his thigh, right? Yeah, king um, of kings. King of kings. And I think that's kind of uh, pointing to the future aspect of that uh, as we read through Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I you know if for for a people for a church who's been uh, tested, who's been persecuted, who's been commanded to endure, right? Yeah, Jesus, I feel like in this verse twelve statement, he's saying, "I will vindicate you." Mm. You know, uh, he will vindicate his church, even with the persecution they are enduring. Jesus says he will keep them. They will never go out. He has them. You're secure. Not only that, you'll be rewarded. He says your faithfulness will be, your endurance will be rewarded. How will they be rewarded? Well, I will give you my name. That's right. And I won't keep changing your name after every earthquake. Disaster. Yeah. 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 Your security, your identity is, is found in me. So regardless of what goes on around you in your circumstances, what never changes, what is always secure, should be your identity in Christ. And um, I think the church in Philadelphia is such a good example of pressing on towards that end, remaining secure in who the Lord says that you are. And, uh, you know, when we are adopted, we are given a new name. Mm-hmm. Um we're not just now sons of God or daughters of God, but we are sons and daughters of God who are given the name of the most high, you know, um, we're totally grafted in as family. And this is that picture here, you know? So Matt, you know, that's our, the exhortation, right? Is to press on, to endure. Um, but, but what, how would you encourage, um, your church with this, what would you say to your church? 
uh, specifically? Hmm, that's a good question. Let me think about that. Yeah, throw me, throw me a curveball here. Um, well, obviously, we need to find you know as a church in general, corporate corporately, we yeah. find our identity not in our ministries or our abilities. I mean, even though our name is based on the city that we uh, live in, our identity ultimately is that we belong to Christ. And so regardless, that's where we find our hope. That's where we find mm. um, our anticipation. Also, I would say, listen, it says here in verse 11, I am coming soon. And, you know, many people have used that to point out that Revelation is is a, a failed prophecy or they tried to say that, look, it hasn't been soon. Jesus hasn't come. But the sense of urgency is what the uh, the prophet here is. John is, is really pointing to. He's saying, listen. This is urgent. Get this right mm-hmm. now because he is coming and it's going right. to be soon. And we don't know what when that soon is, but but the urgency of it. So get about the father's business now. Hold on to what he has given you. Use the opportunities you have now, not what you wish you had. And mm. that's, you know, that's the, the focus is, is not, oh, man, can we reach the entire Sierra Vista? But can you reach your neighbor? Right. Yeah. And that's and that's what I would emphasize individually is what are you doing to be faithful to the Christ word and not deny his name um, in public? Because when we are willing to talk about our political viewpoint or our favorite sports team, instead of even bringing in the name of Christ, we're ultimately denying his name through just negligence. Right. Um, and, and that doesn't mean that you walk around and you, you know, proclaim Christ to every random person you see on the street, but you are looking for these opportunities. And so some witnessing evangelism um, opportunities will arise as you pray for them. Yeah, I would, I would also add with that, Matt, you know, he says, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of God, the new Jerusalem, um, which comes down out of heaven in my new name. I think what's, one of the things that our country really struggles with is what kingdom they belong to. I feel like, I feel like in the church we're being split over joining that kingdom or this kingdom instead of the kingdom of God. And, and in faithfulness, we're faithful to the right kingdom. We're citizens of the right kingdom here. And Jesus is, you know, pointing out like this new Jerusalem he will give the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem to you. This is the place you're a citizen of. And so don't be so torn by, is this Republican agenda or this Democrat agenda correct? Or is this, um, you know, this bureaucracy or that bureaucracy or whatever it is, you know, at the end of the day, we can be united in the context of the church. Why? Because of the work of Christ. And because of who we are citizens of, you know, and man, citizenship of the kingdom of God does not mean citizenship of Republican and citizenship of the kingdom of God does not mean citizenship of Democrat or or America even, or, you know, or, or independent. Yeah. 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 And so like, I think one thing I would add to like my people is remember who whose kingdom you truly live in 
and remain faithful to that. Like don't fight and quarrel over things that are, uh, you know, frivolous that are passing, but let us, let us quarrel over what's eternal, what matters, you know, let's, let's fight over remaining faithful, you know, to Jesus. But yeah, if anyone has ears, listen to what the spirit says to the churches. Guys, we thank you for listening to another episode of the Gospel Lifeline podcast. Until next time, Matt and Neil, we out. Thank you.